Hey now. It's a new year. It's a new decade. And we're back. The Broker Talk boys are back. And we're here to answer all your real estate questions. Write us at broker-talk.com. Also mail at broker-talk.com. And let us know what's on your mind. I'm Jim Lowenstern, and my co-host is Larry Lawfer. Evan is on the board. Larry, how was your New Year's? It is a brand new year. My new year was uh, pretty slow because I'm an old guy. So uh, I ate well. I didn't drink too much. Uh, life was good. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Why? What, what, did, what did you eat? <laughs> I ate nothing but good food. You've met my wife, right? Um, yes, I've met Kathy. Anyway, we are incredibly lucky to have our... Uh, kickoff for this year. We have uh, Chris Brogan. I've known uh, Chris since 2005. He has uh, perfected the art and his ability to ask the right question. Back in 2005, uh, when I first met him, he was asking why tech conferences couldn't be better. He and his friend Christopher Penn created PodCamp Movement, and that accelerated conferences to unconferences because they asked the right question. Since then, Chris has gone on, uh, he's a big time consultant and he's worked for Disney, Coke, Google, GM, Microsoft. He appeared on Dr. Phil's show. Uh, Richard Branson, he did an interview for Success Magazine. Tony Robbins had Chris on his Internet Money Mastery series. He's got nine books out there. Uh, some of them have been New York Times bestsellers. He's on his way to his 10th book right now, and uh, he's on the line. Welcome aboard, Chris. Hi, Chris. Well, thank you so much for having me, fellas. Glad to see you. We're uh, just thrilled to have you. So these three words uh, that you use, they aren't resolutions. They are words that you use for um, guidance during your uh, year. Tell me a little bit about that, and what are your three words this right now, 2020? Yeah, so at the beginning of every year, we do this process that I've been calling My Three Words. I started it in 2006, and in it, I was just recommending that we come up with three different words that might help people guide their actions and choices, you know, as the year rolled along. And so... The reason it was three and not one or not four or whatever was because I, thought, I sort of thought of the way, you know, we use maps. Maps have an x-axis and a y-axis, you know, left, right, up, and down. And then it has z, like how forward or how back. And I always thought you needed at least three points to know where you were on this earth. And so why not three words to know where you wanted to go in any given year? Um, so I've had all different kinds, you know. The three words all have to mean something. Like sometimes people will kind of do something like, do the work, but Z does not really give you a lot to think about in your day, so it's not really worth it as a word. So, for instance, my three words for 2020 are push, which is an easy enough word. You think about it, you know, every day push a little bit more. If you get stuck, push. Just keep pushing. You know, we, we, we give up a lot when we fall short of where we think we're supposed to be. This just reminds me, shut up, idiot. Keep pushing. Uh, the second word is a completely made-up word. Doesn't exist in the world. I couldn't. I couldn't uh, accept just one in that column area. So I put structure quent, which is structure plus sequence. Easy enough to figure out. But the point is that structure alone doesn't mean much unless you know sequence. You need to put these things together, but they have to go in this order. And then the last word's package, and that just reminds me. I've got to do a much better job of putting, making sure the labeling and the edges and everything 
are, you know, crafted into what I sell, how I communicate, and what I'm doing in this world. Because a lot of times, you know, we may or may not have some value we're adding, but if it comes off a little bit like we're winging it, or if it comes off a little less than uh, quality, then people aren't going to see the actual raw value in what you've done. And even though we like that sense of authenticity, uh, we really still need to package that at least a little bit that people understand they're getting something for their efforts. And um, uh, Jim and I had a conversation about this uh, before the show. Jim, do you have uh, your three words? Yes. Uh, I, d- I just want to get it. So it's package, structure, quince. Is that right? Structure, quince? Push. Yep. And what was, right. the, what was the third one? Push. Push. U-S-H. Push. Okay. Mine, uh, well, let, let's do yours first, Larry. Well, I'm, uh, I have been doing this uh, since Chris started way back then, and um, I also do resolutions and everything, but these seem to be these three words when I have them up on top of my uh, computer every day uh, help. And so I thought I was kind of clever this year when I wrote fearless action and results because you put them together and fearless action creates results. So I got all enthused to buy that. Okay, and, and mine is uh, publish, acquire, and create. And uh, I don't think they need an explanation, but... Uh, well, I'm curious about what you're gonna create this year, Jim. Um, I want to create um, my next uh, development project, whatever it would be, and have it be architecturally significant. Yeah, well. And that's where the acquire comes in, because I have to acquire the the dirt first. Sure, sure. And uh, publish, I need to to write my second book. Yes, you do. I mean, uh, Chris is already eight ahead of you. (laughs) Well, he's way ahead of me, but I'm ahead of you. Exactly, exactly. So it's all relative. Exactly. Um, Chris, uh, you blog every day. I, I see that you're using LinkedIn more than you've used any of the other platforms recently. Is that a strategy on your part? I, strategy almost gives me a little too much credit, but um, I feel like LinkedIn has spent a lot of effort and money to try to get that little feed of communication going over there. They're trying really hard to be a media property, and uh, to that end, they're, they're spending money to sort of make that stuff a lot more visible out in the open search world. So in a way, I always tell people having your own website is really important, and it, it, I will never change my opinion on that. If you kind of try to live on something like LinkedIn or live on something like Facebook, it's like renting a hotel room and then throwing down you know, an oriental rug and a couple of Led Zeppelin posters and a lava lamp and thinking that's your house. Um, not quite true. You're on rented land. So you really need your own space. So... I still advocate always to have a good website, but it doesn't hurt to go and spend some time in social platforms where, you know, they're investing a lot of money to get some eyeballs, and then just try to gently earn their attention back to your site so that they could choose to sign up to your newsletter and get involved in your world a little bit more. There are so many agents who believe that they, in the old theory of always be closing, you know, that's more like push out marketing uh, used to be rather than opt in. Uh, what do you think are best practices right now, Chris, out there on in social media world? Well, you know, I think always be closing is great, but that requires that you have to always be opening, right? It's amazing how many people forget to do the work, especially when things get busy, right? If 
you're if you're working on a bunch of different properties or you've got a development deal or something and you're really trying to get a lot of things moved at the same time, you really go through that like crazy 50, 60, 70 hour cycle not developing new work. But once you get to the end of all the closings, I mean, everything is finite. Um, you have to start from scratch again. And it's, you know, to be, we were just talking about LinkedIn. A lot of people still accidentally think that LinkedIn is just a place to put your digital resume. And so they only ever communicate with you on LinkedIn when they've lost their job, which, by the way, is like when they're the least attractive <laughs> in, in, like, why you want to communicate with them, right? You know, exactly. Some schlub out of work like everybody else, then why am I going to message you back? Because you, you, don't, you have less than anything going on. So the, the benefit of always be opening and the benefit of kind of using social platforms like LinkedIn or Facebook or anywhere, Twitter, is that you can always keep your ear out. You can always be aware. And someone says, you know, why wow, I just heard my company's relocating, you know, 900 people south of Boston, and that happens to be your marketplace. You're like, oh, that's interesting news. Where did you hear that? Who could I talk to? Where could I make some calls? You know, business comes to those who make connections, and it's stunning how many people kind of like go to their cave in between every finite transaction instead of remembering that the marketplace has to be a living, moving thing. Chris, I, I see that in 2004 you had uh, four words, and you also say it was uh, a less successful year. Was that just the economy? I mean, you're not blaming it on the four words you picked. That wouldn't oh, have I been mean, 204. That would have been another another date, right? No, it says 2007. Seek, frame, oh, build, and bridge. 2007. Yep. Oh, four um, 2007, words. it wasn't the worst uh, year ever in the whole wide world, but it was less successful in that, I, I, you know, keeping kind of my brain on all of those things at the same time was a little harder to kind of go after the things that mattered more. So in that time frame, by the way, that's the year before the crazy real estate boom. You know, that's like the early, early edges of the crazy real estate boom and business and everything else followed that. So it, what should have been an even better year, and at the very early start of kind of when my career went from like normal people career to like weird entertainer career, that year should have done went better for me. But it didn't get better until 2008 when I started uh, getting a lot more intelligent about the stuff that I needed. And then 2009, I was really off and running. So in, in the real estate, one of the best practices uh, that uh, agents are told early on is to focus on a specific area rather than a variety of different things. Chris, I know that you, you work for multinational uh uh, companies. You also work with individual companies. Do you have a description in your head of who your best client is, and how do you come up with that? Well, that's a great question and a, and a, uh, a time for the therapist couch question because what happened is somewhere around 2012 or so, I had a, I, w I was working with solely large companies, all the large guys. And one particular company whose name I won't mention, who is in the delivery of products business, uh, who all their people wear brown, um, took 13 months to respond to something that was, to me, a rather simple project. And it took them 13 months to get approval. By the time they came back, I wasn't even doing that kind of project anymore. And yeah. I said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sick of really big companies. It just takes so long for them to, to, to make the simplest decision. And I said, I think I'll just work with individuals. 
And instead of waiting for someone's budget, you know, it's whatever they're going to put on their corporate Amex, and we'll call it good. And so I kind of went for, like, smaller dollar, but lots, lots more volume kind of a project in 2012. So I launched a company called Owner Media Group, and it's still running, uh, owner.media. And we have people there that buy uh, webinars and or course products and that sort of a thing around various aspects of business education. And um, But only just starting at the very end of 2019 and into 2020 again, I started working with really big companies again, um, partly just because they randomly reached out and said, hey, are you still working with big companies? And I said, sure, I am. And partly just because um, after several years of working with very small businesses, one to 20 people kind of businesses, I was really kind of feeling that it would be fun to work with bigger companies again. The companies that I tend to want to work with and or even the individuals, they really all have the same sort of thing. They realize that the, the world has gotten a lot busier. The world's gotten a lot more distracted. It's a lot more hectic, and it's really hard to get what you want to talk about uh, in front of the people that you need to reach. It's, you know, real baseline marketing, but also entertainment kinds of questions are still out there. And so what I've, what I've always offered in one way or another for, I don't know, coming on 20 or so years is some variant of how do we use technology and stories and whatnot to drive the best possible human interaction. And so to me, the kind of person I'm looking for is someone who's just really aware that they're not reaching the people they need to reach. Um, and for a long time, that's been in marketing and sales that I've been helping. And more recently, I'm turning that same kind of skill set towards leadership to see if I can help leaders better deliver their uh, message throughout the internal organization. It's all about the story. We know that, Chris, and your your new product is called Story Leader. And just to quote you from one of your recent uh, blogs, fast isn't fast enough. Customers don't want instant, they want it now. It requires a lot more coordination. And to get your message out, we have these issues here in our office. We have an idea, and we pass that to someone who is supposed to execute on that. And if they're not aware of the idea, they can't execute in the way that we would want them to. So talk for a minute about what Story Leader is and, and um, how that can help individuals and companies to be better. And, and I also like to interject the uh, the transfer of leadership DNA to everyone uh, on the team. I, I I just love that thought. So maybe you can run with that as well, Chris. Yeah, why don't we start there? Uh, this concept of transferring the leadership DNA. So I before I you know went off and joined the circus and did all the weird things I did. I worked for telecom and I worked for wireless telecom after that. So I worked for a Ma Bell company and then a vendor serving a variety of various bell companies. And, you know, big companies, it's really hard to move, and it's really hard to turn. And also, from the 90s forward, we have stripped as much middle ground uh, management as we could. And so, at the one hand, you've got the senior team saying, move really fast. Uh, that, that message falls like five or six rungs down the ladder and lands on floor people, so to speak, no matter what your business is, face-to-face -face or otherwise, that says quick and go make this happen. So, you know, if you're, a, if you're a bank giving out loans or whatnot, a financial group giving out loans for real estate, let's say, they might say, we need 8,000 contracts this year. Well, what happened with, you know, everything that went on in 2008 and whatnot was they started creating new financial instruments that no one understood, and everyone said, well, you just sell a bunch of them. It doesn't matter if you don't understand them. 
you know, and everything went crazy. So this concept of leadership DNA, you, you have to be able to make sure that the people who are executing on the front line understand what you're asking of them so that they can, they can replicate and execute those sorts of things without you there overseeing. So switch it to a real estate agent, a residential real estate agent, and you say, hey, guys, you really got to get on places like Instagram and really start showing your properties off on Instagram. And they're like, yeah, sure, fine, okay. And what they do is they, um, I don't know, they hire a bunch of bikini models to show off the properties, let's say. And you can, you can have all kinds of variants of things they might do right or wrong in that process. Um, an example that I know somewhat famously was there's a restaurant chain known for being a family restaurant. And so one of the managers at one of the branches of this restaurant decided to have a, like a wet T-shirt contest Tuesday or something, not quite family-oriented. And in those moments, everyone comes back to, well, you said this, and, and you just immediately hear that there's such a gap between the interpretation of what the boss has asked for. So what I started building was this idea of, you know, a story is the best possible container for memory. We, we remember stories way better than we remember stats and anything else, and including, you know, really complicated instructions. So could I help leaders at all levels package what they need to convey to people in a story method, so, so much so that the, the people receiving it feel, number one, that they can participate in the story, and feel, number two, that they remember it and carry the story forward without the boss in the room. And that's, that's what I'm going for, and that's what I'm working on with a bunch of companies now, is how do we execute in a way that makes sure that everyone can run with or without the boss right there in the, in the next cubicle. So you're going to do this uh, for these companies in either a seminar, webinar form, or are you going to go to their offices? Um, how is it going to be structured from your point of view? I've built a, a workshop process for this, and, and the reason I did, I built a, a sort of an intensive three-day the one thing that I've learned about business storytelling is that if you if you get involved in it, there's a real risk that this will be like another yet another leadership um, directive that comes down. You know, we've all been at companies where the boss reads a book, and all of a sudden we're all like scurrying around because the boss read, you know, Good to Great with Jim Collins or whatever. Okay, let's all do that. And then a year later, it's like, oh, well, we just read Blue Ocean Strategy. Let's go do that. And none of it exactly makes sense, and you're just kind of following. So in the first day of the workshop, we, we really kind of define and clarify and, and, and make sure that we all agree, is this the story? Is this like the master story? Um, the second day is almost entirely you know isolated for me and or some of the people that I work with to go and write this stuff up and make sure we communicate it back. So we, we do a lot of writing and, and translating and, and uh, refining editing. And then we come back on the third day and present it to everyone and say, here's, here's what we got from our day of brainstorming and insight with you. It, does this sound like you? And if I do it right, everyone goes, oh my gosh, this is exactly how we have to do this. And then I can almost hear the next set of stories coming from that. So that, you know, there's, if, you, if you're a McDonald's corporation, there's, there's three pieces to McDonald's, right? There's the real estate empire, which is the part everyone kind of forgets is there. There's the franchising uh, element where they make a great deal of their money. And then there's the actual restaurant. Those are three very different stories you have to learn how to say and or, you know, say back and forth. And the third one is the one that has the most contact with humans. And so I guess ultimately the, the last part of every one of these processes is 
what's the master story and what are the first few conceivable stories so that you don't accidentally tell the master story to the wrong people. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, before you go any further, uh, Broker Talk is sponsored today by Castles Unlimited, where you get the best real estate offers online. Go to castlesunlimited.com for all your real estate needs. Didn't want to interrupt. (laughs) (laughs) Got to pay the piper, right? Had to interrupt. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, um, Chris has a lot of places to connect to him. I know Chris at chrisbrogan.com will get you a response. He he answers everyone. I want to throw this back into the real estate realm. Real estate has a number of different steps. Chris is absolutely right that our first job is to connect with new people because when we sell a home, we might not lose that client, but we lose that opportunity to create um, income flow with them for a period of time while they're, they're with that. So you, we need to find new leads, new listings. We need to talk to them. We need to have engagements with them um, to make money. Um, most real estate agents need to also have a second means of income. So say your your sweet spot is is following or chasing expired and canceled leads. Perhaps you do uh, divorced uh, uh, people who are going through divorce. Perhaps you'd probate. There's such a variety. Uh, investing, um, uh, developing. These are all different arms of the same thing. Chris work, has built his business on not just one stream of income, but a variety of streams of income. Was that a conscious thing on your part, Chris? You know, a long time ago, I, mean, I, I worked a job like every normal person does and had one paycheck until sometime I realized, oh, maybe that's not as secure as I think it is. Because if that company decides they don't want to work with it anymore, then I lose all of my revenue. And so I started running a business for myself. And another guy who ran a a PR agency pulled me aside. And I'm such a babe in the woods. Like, when I started my own business, I was like, well, I know I have to incorporate. So I went to some website and filled out some stuff and sent away some money. And then, you know, a seal and a couple of documents and a a leather three-ring binder came in the mail. And I was like, well, guess I'm a company. And a a tax bill every year since then. (laughs) Depressing how easy it is and how dopey it is. But so... Um, you know, in, in my process, one of the things that I realized about revenue, this guy says to me, you should try to make um, no one client worth more than 15% of your revenue. He goes, that way, if you lose them, you're, you're still operating at 85% of your revenue. And I was like, oh, that seems intelligent. And that's really, <laughs> that's where streams came from. I said, huh, well, if I'm doing this one kind of business and it all dries up, I'm going to be in real trouble. So I better figure out a couple of their businesses. So... Um, you know, my things look really scattered all over, but they ultimately come down to me either writing a lot, speaking about that writing a lot, or writing and speaking a lot. So it's sort of like pasta. Pasta is really just a whole bunch of flour and stuff, and it just looks different when it's spaghetti versus when it's rigatoni, but it's all the same toy. That's what I do in life is I just I serve a lot of different types of pasta. <laughs> I like how you put it into a food motif. How's your weight today? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I guess I probably should have eaten lunch before the call. Right? That would have been better. <laughs> yeah, or or drink. I, I'm I'm off to uh, drinking uh, uh, juices now that uh, 
have beneficial properties rather than just pounding down coffee during my day. So, uh, Chris, uh, which, which of your books is your favorite the, as far as ones you've read and ones you've written? You know, they always tell you not to have a favorite kid, but my oldest is my favorite, so I'll tell you. Um, my favorite book I ever wrote was in 2015. It was called The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover um, right now. Right. With the, with, now the, that one, with the bats. You might as well have said, you know, that, that one should be with the bats all over the cover, because that's like the bat signal. But, you know, we didn't want to have to pay Warner Brothers $10 million. Um, basically, the idea of that book is it's entrepreneurship for sort of atypical human beings. You know, I was looking at books about entrepreneurship, and every book for entrepreneurs is a bunch of white guys shaking hands in suits across the table. And that's not all of the entrepreneurs we know. We know rainbow-haired people that, you know, are from many different backgrounds, many different cultures, and, and are unique in their own ways. And, you know, there's a guy that I went to school with in eighth grade or whatnot, and he moved to New York, and he became a, a musician in the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. You know, pretty stuffed shirt kind of job. He wore tuxedos every day for a living. And he, one summer, I guess those guys had the summers off, he wanted to start a business. And he, he decided that he was going to rent one of those New York City ice cream trucks. But he didn't like their product. So he decided he was going to, you know, rent his own truck and make it his own brand. And he invented this whole company called the Big Gay Ice Cream Company because he was also gay. He made crazy flavors called, like, the Salty Pimp and the Choik Witch and the Bee Arthur and all this kind of crazy stuff. And it, it, he's got multiple restaurants. He's got a cookbook. He's got, a, he's got like, an empire now. And all because he wanted to do it his way. And to me, even if you're just a straight shirt, button-down, you know, blue-everything real estate professional from the old days, entrepreneurship is never explained in ways that make sense for the real world. And so I wanted to write a book that maybe slightly abnormal, normal people could read and learn that they could be entrepreneurs themselves. Which uh, authors inspire you? Oh, you, you mentioned Jim Collins. Oh, Are there others? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say he inspired me. I would say that I was forced to, you know, adapt his books. He's good. There's lots of great authors that are my friends, so it's kind of hard to name them all. I'll tell you a few really great books. Donald Miller wrote a great book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. It's a life-changing book. Um, there's a fiction book called Ender's Game. It's a sci-fi type book by Orson Scott Card. It was a that movie. That book has changed how I see a lot of the world. I think I saw that movie. Um, uh, the movie is not bad. The book is a whole other thing. You know, everyone says that, but this one's kind of like the difference between, you know, if you ripped uh, Mercedes uh, uh, medallion off the front of the car and put it on a Hyundai, that's the movie. So uh, the other book I would tell you is Business Stripped Bare by Richard Branson. And, you know, as an entrepreneur goes, Richard didn't start off, you know, owning 400 companies and making spaceships and things like that. Richard started off by making a record company where he thought he had found this crazy loophole where he could buy records cheaper um, because he bought the ones that were sent to be exported, but then he just wouldn't export them. And so his very first business was illegally selling records in England and uh, getting in trouble and having to go to court for it. So I, I, I was in the record business, there. too. And the FBI uh, uh, back in the old days, paid Records. me a visit. <laughs> and then he opened up 400 other companies, including banks, real estate, and everything else. So 
he's uh, he does get spaceships and he's trying to put a, a hotel on Mars. I think one one of the real connecting issues here is many real estate agents don't realize that they are in fact entrepreneurs. They don't work for these these uh, agencies. They work at the agencies. They are self-employed. They have to go out every single day and make it rain like all entrepreneurs. It's not the type of job for everyone, but if it's it's uh, you are active and and you are disciplined, uh, it can be a great job for anybody who is creative and uh, can't get a job anywhere else, <laughs> willing to put in the time and the effort. Chris, so b- besides the books, you um, you consult with individuals or... And companies. And companies? Yeah, more companies than not. So I, I work with companies in different industries. I've done a lot of resident, uh, I mean, uh, business to consumer type products, like a beverage company. I've done uh, software B2B type companies. I've done um, a lot of the biggest brands you've ever heard of, like Coke and Pepsi and whatnot, Google, GM, Titleist, Comcast. Um, In a lot of those cases, a lot of what they're asking me is, there's all these new future technologies. What do you think we should do with them? Uh, There was a healthcare company that said, you know, this is way back when Barack Obama got elected the first time. You know, he was pushing Obamacare. This is a health company. They're saying, we really like a voice like Obama has on this. How do we get more people to talk to us? And so the questions that I tend to help people with are almost always like translation questions in a weird way, because what they're saying is, you're from this new, weird, crazy, futuristic computer world. We're just these people at an office who are used to still photocopying things. How do we get in here and talk? And I just show people how it is to be a human at a distance and, and how it's not all that different once you figure out how to talk about it all human at a distance that's awesome before before we wrap up what does it cost to hire you why well, I, I mean i guess it sort of depends on the, cost, on the uh, how and in what way i was people want to talk to me like throwing your heart directly one-on-one coaching you know the 500 bucks an hour one-on-one if it's something for a big company it's usually a few more zeros um but it's definitely one of those scenarios where if if anyone wants to talk it's easier to figure out in what ways I could be helpful first, and then I can always talk them through what's, what's useful. My, number, my prices have always been transparent, though, because it always seemed like, a, I don't know, the last bunch of cars I bought before the company went under was shattered. You know, the, the sticker was the sticker. I didn't have to go talk to some finance manager. The price was the price. So I always did that in business. I felt I liked that same model. Exactly. Exactly. Um, where can people find you, Chris? Um, you can go to chrisbrogan.com. Or if you can't guess on that, on how to spell my name, just go to owner.media. You'll find me. I'm out there. Just Google Chris. I'm on there somewhere. Excellent. I want to thank you for, for coming on board. Real pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Broker Talk is a weekly podcast hosted by real estate industry professionals and always dedicated to telling it like it is. Great show. Thank you, Chris Brogan. Larry. Thank you, Chris. Awesome show. Great way to kick off the new decade. Talk to you soon, Chris. Baba Booey to you all.